0: Well, as you're sitting down, why don't you turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans 15, and we're going to be looking today as we finish out this book in the next uh, couple of weeks, actually, at verses 22 to 24. I've, I've titled this message, um, Our Longing for Leisurely Love. Our Longing for leisurely love. It's especially there deep down in our fast-paced society, which He's given us the body of Christ to satisfy. We're going to be looking today at the kind of leisurely uh, love that really is at the heart of being a caring community, the second of our three values as a church, of being an authentic community, and how that kind of sincerity, the sincere desire just to be together, <laughs> is the love uh, that the world is looking for by which they'll know we're his disciples as we go passionately. A whole lot depends on it. The kind of sincere love through his body through which he comforts us uh, in our losses. With With his very presence. We're not alone. It's uh, Romans 15, starting in verse 22. For this reason, Paul says... I have often been hindered from coming to you. That is, from coming to the church at Rome. He's He'd been hindered from coming to them because of his passion for ministry, for preaching the gospel, and all the rest, which we've been focusing on now for three weeks. But reading on, I've been hindered from coming to you, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, remember, he completely preached the gospel. He had finished there. And since I have had for many years a and here it is. I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain. I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. There's a lot packed into these verses. We'll see here, we see here the sincerity of Paul's passion for ministry to them because he wasn't just a paid professional. That's not why he wanted to come and see them. Oh no, under it all, he yearned for their company, like he says here. He sincerely enjoyed their company. You know, long ago in seminary days, I read a classic book on preaching. I think it was by John Broadus, a real classic. And at one point he said there are three keys to effective preaching. And that is sincerity, sincerity, sincerity. Sincerity 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 maybe that's one reason why ronald reagan was such a great communicator right maybe that's why we liked him so much because there was such sincerity there right someone said there has never been one possessed of complete sincerity who did not move others and rarely has there been one who did not have sincerity who was able to move others Sincerity is kind of the opening of the heart in a way that you can trust. And it's not just from the pulpit that they need to see it. It's like Paul said to the Corinthians in his pastoral relationship with them. He said, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. These were the ones that bucked them at every, at, at, at every turn. And yet he said, our mouth has been spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. That sincerity. I found that this doesn't apply just to preaching. It applies to ministry uh, in general. In fact, the one thing that people say they want in a pastor, according to various surveys, through his shepherding, through his preaching, through everything he does, is sincerity. Which Webster defines as without deceit, pretense, or hypocrisy. Truthful straightforward, being the same in actual character as in outward appearance. But don't just point the finger at pastors that they need to be that way. It it doesn't just apply to us. It applies to the priesthood too, to all of you, to all the ministers, that your love, as Paul says, be without hypocrisy, that's Romans 12, uh, but rather full of sincerity. Sincerity. That that is, that our love be real. We spent three weeks now on the secret of Paul's passion for ministry. But now it's time to turn to what really is the sincerity of Paul's passion. That was underneath it. We're going to see over the next two weeks that it, was, um, that, that, it, that it was the same with Paul as it is to be with us, and that is the effectiveness of our ministry as a church, especially when it comes to going passionately, uh, as is our emphasis this year, right? The effectiveness of our ministry as a church will depend to a good degree on the sincerity of our ministry as a church, as a caring community that our mission calls us to be. And we'll be learning from Paul's example that sincerity, when you put it into practice, when the rubber meets the road, it looks like three things. First, and this will be our focus today, it means having a sincere affection. In a trustworthy church, there is a sincere affection for and attraction to each other. Because when there's the longing and the leisure just to be together, like with Paul, it says that our love is real. That, that we're a caring community in all sincerity, which is a good part, we're going to see, of the foundation uh, of effective ministry, especially in a day when people don't know who they can trust. And especially when they don't trust the church because all they ever want is your money or whatever. There's not sincerity there. There's hypocrisy, right? Paul sure wanted that kind of experience of leisurely love. Let's read it again. Two simple points today. First, let's look at his longing, and then we'll look at his leisure. First, his longing, verse 22. I have often been hindered from coming to you. The idea here is that there were many obstacles. He kept trying. He kept trying over and over again, but other things got in the way. Um, but he was kind of like a salmon who was swimming upstream against all these obstacles. Like, and it was like a homing instinct. It was kind of a love sickness. As we see in the next verse. Since I have had for many years a longing to come to you. It wasn't just, you know, a flash in the pan, a fluke that he felt that way. You, you see it all through his writings. In Philippians 1.8, for instance, he says, God is my witness, how I long for you all. How I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. There are many verses, not time to get into them, but in Romans, I have had for many years a longing to come to you. And so we have the sincerity of Paul's passion for ministering to these people, first and foremost, just because he just wanted to be with them. A little thing that's a big thing. And so it is to be with us. The first sign that we can be trusted as a church, that our love is real, that we're a caring community in all sincerity, is that we just want to be together. It's the longing that drove, for instance, many of us to do a hut trip a couple months ago. Some of you are here as many of you have also done and uh, at other times. We spent two nights together. We shared homemade meals, some better than others, but all really good. We played indoor games. We, you know, frolicked in the backcountry, and, and um, that's what drove a group of us to skin up A-Basin yesterday. And as we went, I, we started talking about this moonlight skinning deal that we did, and some, uh, I guess about a year ago or so, and some of us were snowshoeing up, and we went to the top of A-Basin and carried our dinner with us, and Enjoyed such special food and fellowship. Why do we do these things? Why were the unchurched who we invited to come on one of those midnight, midnight skins or moonlight skins? Why were they so deeply touched with our experience? And whenever I go to the post office, one of them is behind the counter, and she asks when we're going to do it again. Why? Bottom line. Watchman Nee put it this way. If you truly, be, if you truly but believed in God and have his life in you, you will naturally be attracted to the brethren. Your love for Christians will be spontaneous. You will feel they are closer to you than your brethren in the flesh, more intimate than the best of your friends. You will find an inscrutable, and I love this, an inscrutable sensation surge within you which makes you long and love to be with them. The life which God has given you is not an independent life. It pulls you toward those with the same life. It gives you a special consciousness, a strange attraction toward the children of God. That's why, for so many years, Paul had been longing to be with them. Now, what this means is this. The church isn't just a place where you have to go to get spiritual points or so you don't feel guilty or whatever. No, no. It means the church can be literally an oasis. Because the Bible teaches that when this longing for one another is satisfied, this longing for leisurely love, it's like quenching a thirst. That's why Paul told Philemon that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, and in the context he 's referring to the fellowship that the saints had with Philemon, who got them together that 's why, in Second Timothy, Paul said, "The house of it uh, 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 was one of these big Greek words, Anis, has often refreshed me." That's why in 2 Corinthians 7, he talked about the joy that Titus had when he visited them, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. In fact, in our, in our uh, passage for today, when he talks about his desire to enjoy their company, the word he uses is empiphlemi in the Greek, which literally means to fill up or to satisfy. It's the same word that Paul uses in Acts 14 where he talks about how God gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He says that's what fellowship is. It's like quenching a deep thirst. It's like we're trudging through this desert in a very cold world in this dry and weary land out there. And we need to be filled up on a regular basis if we're going to finish the journey well. And so God has provided an oasis of love that we call the church, the refreshment of fellowship to satisfy our spirits along the way. Now, those who most appreciate it, I have found, and I include myself here, are often those, for uh, whatever reason, who can't get as much of it as they like. We kind of take it for granted until it's gone. (laughs) Right. just talk to some people who have moved away who have left our church and again and again I've seen this over the last five years that they've, they'll call back or they'll come back or they'll write back and they'll tell us they didn't fully realize uh, what they had here and how much they missed the fellowship and what a good thing we've got going and how hard it's going to be to replace it so why not realize it now <laughs> Why not realize our lives while we live them, and not just in nostalgia? Dietrich Bonhoeffer experienced this in a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, Out of that experience, he wrote a book. He was was in solitary confinement before they martyred him. And uh, he wrote a book appropriately titled, Life Together. That's what he most missed. It was a prison book that he wrote, and here's how he summed up the whole thing. Let him who up until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians, let him praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren the prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile, see the companionship of a single fellow Christian as a physical sign of the gracious presence of God. It's in loneliness in persecution that Christians recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, in humility, and in joy. But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter of brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in daily fellowship with Christians. And then he concludes, about how easily we disregard this unspeakable gift of God how easily we forget that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace that any day may be taken from us. Like Bonhoeffer, Paul ended up in prison too, and before that he did a whole lot of traveling, and so he thirsted for the refreshment that that it's so easy. I don't know about you, but it is for me to take for granted. And so for many years, he said, I have had a longing to be with you. There's a whole lot behind that, including the Bonhoeffer experience. And that he was thirsty for them proved the sincerity of his love for them. And it's the foundation of effective ministry because in a trustworthy church, there's a sincere affection for uh, and attraction to the fellowship of the saints. There's real ministry through relational sincerity because everyone's longing deep down for leisurely love. For leisurely love. We've seen the longing, that's point one. But there also needs to be the leisure, just like with Paul. Which is my second point today. Again, verse 24. I have been longing to come to you because before before I go to Spain, I want to have first enjoyed your company for a while. Not just high-by. Not just... Uh, an air kiss and you're out of there for a while. And then eight verses later, he says that I may come to you in joy by the will of God, verse 32, and find refreshing rest in your company. I want to rest with you a while. It won't happen if you're always in a hurry. You can't savor anything without some leisure. Leisure it takes quality time for this longing to be satisfied and you'll be forever restless until it is john said by this we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren that's first john 3 and so what he's saying is this if you're born again you already have the love of the brethren that we're talking about in you the only question is whether it's just a spark or whether you've taken the time to let it fan into flame leisure is it's just that we take it for granted until it 's taken away, and especially when we get too busy for community, when we don 't have enough leisure, which is the plague on our country these days, or too wrapped up in TV, the wrong kind of leisure, or pseudo communities pseudo relationships like Facebook and all the rest, Twitter, whatever, so the question is this, why not experience it now before it 's too late in real life by giving some actual people some, your, your, your uh, actual leisure, before God moves you on. None of us will be here forever. We so take for granted things until they're taken away. It reminds me of a, what a woman uh, named Catherine said. She said, you people have your things. You are busy all day long with your things. We only have one another. She was this Russian Mennonite woman who I I think I've told some of you about. She was exiled back in the days of uh, the Soviet Union because of her faith. She was exiled to a labor farm that was really nothing but a slave labor camp. And she had relatives in Canada, and after years of trying, they managed somehow to get her a visa to come for a three-month visit. Of course, everyone assured her that she assumed that she would just stay on after three months, but she insisted on going back. After three months. And when they pressed her for the reason why, here's what she said. She said, I don't think I can explain to you why it is I want to go back. All I can say is over here in this country, you people have your things. And you are busy all day long with your things. Over here, we don't have anything, but we have each other. I want to get back to my brothers and sisters in Christ where we live for one another. If you're a Christian... You've got a longing for the brethren. That's a, give, that's a given. But people, unfortunately, we go looking for love in all the wrong places, for filling in all the wrong places, especially in a country where there's so, so much that fills our time without really filling our cup. It's a longing that will never be fulfilled without the right kind of leisure with the right kind of people. And it's out of that overflow that we go passionately. Oh, we so need it personally. But we also need it ministerially. Paul longed for it on a personal level, but also because he knew that real ministry depends on that kind of actual relational sincerity. It's what Eugene Peterson called the ministry of small talk. He's kind of a pastor to pastors, and I've read him over the years. Maybe you have too. He's been a real role model for me. He applies this to the ministry of pastors, but it also applies to the, that of the priesthood. Listen to what he says. Uh, is an article from Leadership called The Ministry of Small Talk. He said, "'Began my pastor during my adolescent years, often came to our home. After a brief and awkward interval, he always said, "'And how are things going with your soul today?' He always pronounced SOUL in capital letters. I never said much. I was too intimidated. The thoughts and experiences that filled my life in those years seemed small potatoes after that question. I knew, of course, that if I ever wanted to discuss matters of SOUL, I could go to him, but for everything else, I'd probably do better with someone who wouldn't brush aside as worldly vanity what it felt like to get cut from basketball varsity someone who wouldn't pounce with scary intimations of hellfire on the thoughts I was having about Marnie Schmidt, the new girl from California. Pastoral work, I learned later, is that aspect of Christian ministry that specializes in the ordinary. I love this. It is the nature of pastoral life to be attentive to, immersed in, and appreciative of the everyday texture of people's lives, the buying and selling, the visiting and meeting, the going and coming. This includes crisis events to be met, birth and death, conversion and commitment, baptism and Eucharist, despair and celebration. If pastoral work is to represent the gospel, And develop a life of faith in the actual circumstances of life. It must learn to be at home in what novelist William Goldberg has termed the ordinary universe. The everyday things in people's lives, getting kids off to school, deciding what to have for dinner, dealing with the daily droning complaints of work associates, watching the nightly news on TV, making small talk at coffee break. Small talk. The way we talk when we aren't talking about anything in particular, when we don't have to think logically or decide sensibly or understand accurately The reassuring conversational noises. Here's what happens in leisurely love. The reassuring conversational noises that make no demands, inflict no stress. The sounds that take the pressure off. The meandering talk that simply expresses what's going on at the time. My old pastor's refusal or inability to engage in that kind of talk implied, in effect, that most of my life was being lived at a sub spiritual level. Ever felt that way? A sub spiritual level. Vast tracts of my experience were worldly, with occasional moments qualifying as spiritual. I never questioned the practice until I became a pastor myself and found that such an approach left me uninvolved with most of what was happening in people's lives and without a, con- and I love this phrase, without a conversational context for the actual undramatic work of living by faith in the fog and the drizzle. And then he concludes, we mount our Sinai pul- pulpits week by week and we ought to. We mount our Sinai pulpits week by week and proclaim the gospel in what we hope is the persuasive authority of awful thunder. That's Emerson's phrase. But when we descend to the people on the plain, a different artfulness is required. The art of small talk. And so it is to be with all his ministers And all of you can do that. Don't need to go to seminary for that. There's to be a conversational context, a relational context, one that comes uh, from the longing and the leisure uh, of just being together. One that says our love is real, that we're a caring community in all sincerity one that's the foundation for effective ministry, especially in a day when people don't know who to trust, especially when they don't know if they can trust Christians. When more than ever in the months and years to come, in perhaps these darkening days, people will have only an intimate and a frightening familiarity with the problems of living and dying. We need to be there. To get off our Sinai's and descend to the plains. Now more than ever, there's real ministry through the sincerity of leisurely, of leisurely love. You may have heard the saying, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) That'll be true. And too often that is true. If all we ever do is gather like marbles once a week, like this, if, if that's all we ever do, we will butt heads. But when we come together in Sunday schools and small groups and in Iron Hour and uh, the the Women's Thursday morning Bible study and Sunday potlucks and on mission trips and on all the other things that we do during the week from hiking to biking to skinning to skiing to whatever it is that you're into, when our lives blend together, not like marbles, but like grapes in the vineyard that we call the church, there arises a scent of love. There's true sincerity. There's real ministry. And that is another, it's not story, that is another glory. And that's why we strive to be a caring community. And that's why it's a good part of the foundation of going passionately as we're focusing on this year. It's like the hymn goes, the old, the old one that I... Many of you so loved, blessed be the tie that binds, right? Our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Another glory. Father, I want to thank you for what you've given us as a congregation and for the caring community that we are and how unlike what's happening in other churches in Summit County with pastors I talk to, we just shine here. We People tend to be tend to be separate up here, but we do long to be together. But I do pray, Father, that as Paul said to the Philippians, we have no need to be instructed here, and yet, in another way, don't rest on your laurels. I pray with him that we would increase and abound in this love all the more. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Again, Jean's memorial service, Jean Green's, will be this coming uh, Thursday at 1.30 p.m. And let's all go and just be the presence of God there. And uh, Father, we do want to pray for a John and the family now, as they get ready for this coming Thursday, that you would comfort them. Thank you for the healthy way in which they are dealing with this, and the tears that are coming. And we do commit to you this, the, 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 this, this service on Thursday. Father, we pray that it would do justice to Jean's life, this precious gift that you've given us, and that it would bring glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming. See you Thursday.